0: Today's reading is from John 21, verses 1 through 14. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net out on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. When the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So. Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All you in grades one through six, you can take off to the lobby and meet your teachers. The rest of you may be seated.
1: This morning we have the distinct privilege of hearing from a guest speaker uh, my friend our friend Noemi Chavez is a pastor down at Revive Church on 7th Street and she's she's preached here before um, Noemi is is being sought after in some really like high high-end places these days um, so part of me is really feels really honored that she would you know step into little old here and, and preach and be with us this morning um, but you know, you could say all these spectacular things about somebody, but I know Noemi as a, as a friend, and so I know her as a, a really grounded person who deeply loves people and deeply loves the Word of God. So that's, that's what she's here to, to kind of share with us this morning and help us dive into a passage. So, um, Noemi, I'm just going to pray for you as you kind of make your way up here. Father... Um, Thank you for the gift that is noemi chavez the gift to this city the gift to us this morning i pray that you would open her lips to declare forth your truth to declare for your forth your praise and i pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to receive what it is that you have for us this morning bless what she brings to us i pray in jesus mighty name amen noemi good morning
2: so good to be with you all again. Um, always love to share with my Grace family and like Beth mentioned, she's a wonderful friend and somebody who I seek when I'm making strategic or spiritual decisions in my life. She's one of the voices that God has brought into my life for that wisdom. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you all as a church. I love what uh, was shared during the time of giving and the generosity of grace and the work that God is using through your obedience and your open-handedness. Um, it's just a gift in our city and a gift in the kingdom, so it, it blesses me and it encourages me to, to hear of the work that you are all collaborating and partnering with. Um, the kingdom of God is so much bigger than one person in one space and one church. So... Just honored to be here. Um, is anybody here familiar with, like, um, family drama? <laughs> um, I, I, I wanted to, you know, family drama is really interesting because nobody likes it, nobody enjoys it. Yes, the holidays are upon us, whether you like it or not. If you go to any store um, that has any form of decorations, Halloween was here five weeks ago. So like the holidays are coming, Thanksgiving's coming, Christmas, so we always are anticipating the fun and great things that come with that, but we also know that there's some hard things that come with that as well because family can be challenging, it can be difficult. Um, And I love the Bible doesn't shy away from hard family stories, like there's so much drama that God doesn't say, get over it, but he's like, let's talk about it, let's actually unpack what's happening in families. And there's a story of a a man named Jacob in the Bible. And um, Jacob, um, his name actually means like liar, deceiver, cheater. Like his name basically meant that he was good at, you know, kind of taking the bigger candy poly when he was a kid. Or he gave the small lollipop away, kept the larger one, because he always wanted, you know, the hand up of anything that was around him. So we see the story of Jacob in scripture. He uh, basically cheats his brother from his firstborn right. Like, he takes away the blessing, the bigger part of the inheritance. He takes the blessing from his father, from his older brother. And this, if you don't understand culture in this time, is a huge offense. And um, it's frowned upon by people in the community because it's seen as something completely, not only wrong, it's egregious. It's like, why? how can you do that to your own flesh and blood, right? Um, we understand some of that because we've seen people go through hardships when it's come to fighting for a will or arguing about what belongs to me or rights about in a family, situations that are difficult and challenging. I'm a pastor for now almost 17 years so i know a lot of these stories Um, and it's human condition real life stories people struggle and it's painful and um, it's challenging so whenever there's a dishonest move on the part of somebody who's going to get more than another there's a sense of betrayal there's a sense of lack of fairness it's all these ugly feelings that emerge and so all of this is happening in the life of jacob and we're going to read a scripture in regards to what he's going through in life. And he basically is given the advice, just leave this community because what you've done is so offensive that your brother basically wants to kill you for it. Like just, just go away, get away. Um, And so he's running basically for his life. He's filled with the angst and the probably major separation feelings of sadness and confusion. What did I do? What has it cost me? Um, We've all found ourselves in situations where our bad choices, because we've all made them, have cost something. And so here Jacob is running for his life and away from his family, and we see him in Genesis chapter 28, verse 16. And um, it says, When Jacob awoke from his sleep... Um, because he, you know, falls asleep, and in his sleep, if you go back home, write this down for those of you who are note-takers, read the story. He has this incredible dream where he sees this ladder, and there's angels coming up and down this ladder, and he's sensing, and he knows that God is at the other end, sitting on his throne, and he's experiencing something supernatural and powerful, right? So he says, it says, When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely... The Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Now, the reason that this scripture captivated me so much was because oftentimes we think that the presence of God is only accessible to us, it's only available, it's only um, experienceable, if that's even a word, when we have good behavior, when we have our things in order, when our life is well aligned to the will of God. But what gets my attention of the scripture is that we know that he is not in a good place. He made a decision that has caused his family to fall apart, basically. His parents are arguing over the situation. There's a lot of pain, a lot of anger, a lot of resentment. and. In the middle of his mess, he has this dream, and when he wakes up, these words here are words that we ought to remember, because he says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. It's incredible to understand and to have the realization that despite our bad behavior, the presence of God is still pursuing us. Despite the fact that we might not have all of our ducks in a row, that we don't have all of the best decisions made, that we don't have everything in place, that the presence of God is not shying away from us. He is not made small because of our bad decisions. He's not nervous about our relationship with us. He is still lovingly pursuing us whether we are aware of it or not. There are times that we could be blatantly living a life of disobedience and a life of sin, and we would think that that disqualifies us, and yet that is the very thing that qualifies us for his love because his love is a redeeming love. It is a love that takes broken pieces and creates something beautiful out of it. It is a love that heals and forgives. So the very nature of our brokenness is what qualifies us for God to be reaching out for us because we are a people who are in desperate need of a savior. How many of you could either nod or say yes or say amen? And so I love the fact that that Jacob finds himself in this circumstance of life where he has not worked himself with good behavior into God's good graces, but that surely the presence of God is pursuing him. He's not disqualified. How powerful, how unstoppable, how irrational is this love? And oftentimes, we'll think that the disappointment in life the heartbreak of life, the situations that we face, whether it's things that we've done for ourselves or things that have been done to us, our anger towards those situations, our frustration with them, could cause us to feel like maybe I'm not qualified. Maybe God is not here. And we begin to think that his presence is based on something that we feel. But if we know the word of God, we know that God is not a feeling but his presence is faithful. And there are times you might not feel God, but he's still there. If we base our faith in God only on what somebody makes us feel through a good message or a good song, then we miss the eternal relationship that we are invited to on the daily, whether we are in the presence of a worshiper or a preacher, God's presence is with us It doesn't stay in the church building. God's not here fiddling his thumbs throughout the week waiting for you. You step out, he steps out with you. And we are unaware of the fact that he's reaching for our attention as individuals, as people, because he has words, he has instructions, he's got guidance for us. And so many times what ends up happening is that we do not wait on God Or make room for God to speak because we feel like we're not qualified for it or we feel like I I don't have the time for it I don't know how to do it I love in Acts chapter 1 the disciples are given this instruction and this instruction would change the history of the church and it would change the history of God's relationship with humanity so it's a good verse for us to read it says in Acts chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 and being assembled together with them He commanded them not not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not so many days from now. Jesus is telling his disciples, um, you need to go to this upper room. You need to go into the space where you're going to sit and you're going to wait because you may have been baptized in water but now the spirit of god wants to infuse your life and the spirit of god wants to empower your life the spirit of god wants to speak and fill your life in such a way where the spirit of god will bring direction for us this is the invitation to say lord what are you saying what are you doing how can i how can i chime in how can i listen how can i be still long enough to hear your instruction. God, what are you saying to me? The invitation to follow Jesus was an invitation to be a people who are filled with his spirit, who are being led by his spirit. Do you remember that invitation? The invitation to follow Christ? I mean, for the disciples, it looked a certain way, right? Hey, Peter, while Peter's fishing, Come and follow me. And Jesus says that as he called Peter to follow him, Peter basically drops his net and goes and follows Jesus. For many of us, the invitation looked different. For many of us, maybe you were um, here in a church service or at another church or at some conference or at, in a cubicle at work or you know at a lunch bench in school. Where was that invitation? I want you to remember when you got the invitation to follow Jesus, when you got the invitation to be in relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth, it wasn't because you had it all together. The invitation never included your spiritual accolades or the spiritual strengths of your life. The invitation included the brokenness of your humanity to follow a savior that would transform you as you walked with him that would give you instruction as you walked with him, that would give you the guidance and the counsel and the wisdom that you need, not only to do what you're called to do with your family and your workplace, but also to be the person he designed you to be. And that relationship, um, what qualified you then was not that you were already in right standing with God, what qualified you was the love of God extended towards us. I am so grateful that God didn't look at what I had to bring to the table when I first came to faith. I mean I was 12 years old. I was but a kid who came from a home with a dad who struggled with alcoholism and a mom who simply loved God and was doing her best to raise four children. I was 12 years old when I realized that God loved me the invitation was beautiful you know up until that point i would go to church regularly i grew up going to sunday school and i remember there were times that during worship i would cry and i would cry more so because i'd be praying for god to change my family i would be praying for god to change my dad god would you would you transform his life god would you save my siblings lord would you and I was never asking God to do anything in my life but at the age at the ripe old age of 12 God was like you need me Naomi At the age of 12 I realized I needed the savior And the invitation was to follow Jesus to believe that his work and his plans are good What did that invitation look like for you It's one of the sweetest memories that we have in our faith in God, is the moment that we said, Lord, I asked you to come into my life. I'm not perfect, I don't have it all together, but I sure do need you, and I want to follow you, and I want to know what your plan is. And we experienced this peace, and this joy, and this lightness that removed the guilt and the shame of our sin. And so we we're invited by this very same Savior to follow him. And sometimes our following gets a little exhausting because the more we walk with Jesus, the more we think we have him figured out. <laughs> the longer we walk with God, the more we, re- we begin to actually believe or think that we have some kind of a, like a spiritual algorithm <laughs> of how God does things. And how many of us have walked with Jesus long enough to realize I have no algorithm of how he does things or what the outcomes are going to be? I've got no clue. And I've been pastoring for almost 17 years, and I'm still pretty clueless about how God works things out in the life of individuals, with their children, in their marriages. Like, I'm just like, I have no clue what God's going to do or how it's going to work out. But what I do know is that we could trust him. What I do know is that he is good and he is faithful. What I do know is that it doesn't matter what we face or what we go through, God will never let us down. He has never betrayed me. He has never forsaken me. He has never walked away in a hard season. He has never walked away or shamed me in my brokenness. God is good. He is trustworthy. Amen to that. He is trustworthy. I can walk with him. And so we know we have begin, We've begun as a people to, to lose sight of that when we begin to, out of our own experience, try to manipulate what outcomes need to look like in our spiritual walk. Because it takes too much effort to sit and wait or to trust that he's there even when we don't see him. It's so much easier to try to manipulate situations and outcomes with our kids, with our spouse, with our coworkers, with our boss. How can I do things? What do I need to do? I did this before it worked. Now I'm going to do it again with this one. Well, let me tell you, your kids, those of us, I've got a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old. Man, they are two completely different individuals. And the challenges are very different between the two. And so we can't even repeat the same pattern for parenting in the same home being raised by the same individuals. And so what does it look like to trust God? What does it look like to trust the one who one day said, follow me? It can get exhausting sometimes to continue to try to do things that we feel qualify those who we feel have lost qualifications around us. And here's where I want you to take note that maybe your faith is drifting, and maybe you're forgetting of what that invitation initially looked like. And you know, it doesn't take much for you to drift. Drifting doesn't require any effort. You can be in church every Sunday, and you're drifting. Because alignment to hearing God and to nurturing relationship with him, that does take intentionality. It takes intentionality to say, I mean, for Jacob, the dude had to be asleep for God to get his attention. Because he was not going to sit still long enough while he was awake to hear God say, Jacob, even though you've made these terrible mistakes and you've made, I am with you, Jacob. I love you, Jacob. I have a plan for your life, Jacob. So here's where I want you to maybe take note of some of the things that we can highlight. Um, That we're drifting. We're forgetting what the initial invitation was. So you know you're, you're drifting. You're running on empty. You forgot the initial invitation when you're striving for excellence. You just want to make everything perfect, and there's no room for flaws. And you're so frustrated with the outcomes of life because you can't control and manipulate every aspect of your family, your spiritual walk, the spiritual walk of other people. And you want it to look exactly like you want it to look. And you forget that the invitation was for you. And God invites everybody, but everybody gets the opportunity to respond to that invitation. So, whenever we're striving for perfection, even with our kids or with our spouse or with our coworkers, we find ourselves overwhelmed. We find ourselves angry. We find ourselves frustrated because we're like, come on, people, get it together. And Jesus is saying, I've invited you to follow me even when it wasn't perfect, even when it didn't look like everything you'd imagined it could look like. And so oftentimes we will find ourselves overwhelmed. You know, we began to drift in our walk with God when what was restorative to our souls feels like work. You're drifting from the following of Jesus when prayer, worship, reading the word starts to feel like work. When you have forgotten that everything that you need in life comes from the presence of God, from his word, from his counsel. And we have forgotten that the invitation was not for us to micromanage the outcomes of the spirituality of others. But we have forgotten that the invitation was to know God intimately, to share a relationship with the Lord that would transform us. And for some of you, you're like, yep. Reading the Bible feels like work. It didn't always feel like work. You know, in those initial days of that unique and first love, it's like we couldn't get enough of God. We couldn't get enough of the word of worship because we were so hungry and we were so thirsty, but we've become such mature Christians that we don't need that anymore. And we forget that the elementary spaces of our faith are foundational to the future of God's leading for us. We may be drifting when God becomes a means to our end. When we're like, I've been walking with God for a long time. He's going to do what I asked him to do. He's going to work things out. He's going to fix the situation because I've been serving him for a long time. And all of a sudden, our relationship with God becomes more about what God can give us as opposed to who he is already in our lives. And he is the greatest gift. It could also be the opposite. We're drifting if we think we are God's means to an end, where you're like, God needs me to tell people and put them in their place. (laughs) God needs me to be the savior. God needs me to be the answer. God needs me to be that. And God is saying, "I I won when you gave me your heart. And you won when you let me into your heart. Like the win of our relationship with God is that we get to walk with him here on earth, that we continue to follow Jesus to understand that the qualifying factors of his presence are not the outcomes of our life and everything that we produce, but simply that we are loved by God and we are invited into deep relationship. And so I love this story that we read earlier in the book of John, chapter 21, because Peter gets initially invited to follow Jesus while Jesus was here on Earth. So Peter has this experience with God. He has this experience with Jesus where he walks with Jesus in the flesh for three and a half years. I mean, none of us here could say that in the early stages of our faith, we used to walk with God in the physical. Like that's never been the reality for our faith walk. But for Peter, it was like the one who was making him a disciple was, I mean, Jesus. That's pretty amazing. And I love this story because it doesn't shy away from us understanding even Peter's humanity. Because now Peter um, finds himself with the disciples, and they're at the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has already died and risen from the dead, but it's not going to look the same anymore. Jesus will no longer be walking with Peter and the disciples in the flesh. Things have changed. It's a new season. The relationship will look different. And so Peter is kind of like, hey guys, so so what are we doing now? And Peter's like, I know, I know, I know how to do this. I know how to fish. Let's go fishing. Peter decides the answer for this moment in life is for me to do exactly what I know how to do that has proven to be successful in the past. And so he goes, and he fishes the entire night. And how many fish do they catch? Zero. Zip. Nada. Not one fish. They come back, fishing the entire night. And at a distance, somebody notices Jesus. And Jesus calls out to them and says, hey, guys, did you catch anything? The Bible says that. They're like, no, we've caught nothing. And he says, throw that net over to the side of the boat. These guys have been professional fishermen. Here's what I'm trying to get to. We can all be professional at something in life that we feel we know how to do really well. And some of those opportunities have come through our education, our work experience, and things that we do really well because we know how to do them really well. The beautiful thing is that once we belong to Jesus, once we have made a covenant relationship with God and we have responded to the invitation to follow him, the things that we know how to do that we feel we are excellent at, God knows how to do better. He didn't have to go to four or five years university, get a master's or a doctorate. He knows how to do all of it far better than ever we can ever do. And once we have chosen to follow Christ, the narrative of our story is no longer, here's what I'm good at and here's what I can do. The narrative becomes, God, what are you asking me to do? What are you inviting me to And there are times that even in our workplaces or in our families we want to do things the way we know how to do them because we're going to produce outcomes that we can produce. And Peter was like, I know how to fish, I'm going to go fishing. And he gets absolutely nothing in that time that he's fishing. And jesus tells him to throw the net over and these guys catch 153 fish which were so large that it could almost it could have almost caused that net to snap but it doesn't they're able to bring the fish home but in the middle of that while they're fishing and they realize it's jesus the bible says that peter puts on his cloak, which is really weird to me because I'm imagining that he took it off so that it wouldn't get wet while they were fishing, but he puts it back on to jump in the water and run after Jesus. (laughs) I I love that because it's almost like, what's happening, Peter? And he swims straight to the Lord. And what I would like to suggest this morning as as I close out is I want to create another character in this scripture. I want to provide for you someone in the story who is not there. Um, I want to be myself in the story. And I want to be the person that, when everybody says, do it this way, it's worked that way before, do it the way it worked last time, just do it again, I've come to the point in my life where I want to just grab my favorite blanket, and I want to set it at the Sea of Galilee. And I want to sit, and I want to wait. I want to sit and wait to see what God's going to do. Because much like the disciples, I don't want to go fishing the entire night doing what I think I know how to do really well and waste energy and get nowhere. Too many of us are doing things the way we know how to do them. And God is saying, if you sit down long enough with me, I have some instructions for you. I've got wisdom for you. I've got knowledge to give you. And too many times we waste energy doing things the way we know how to do them because we're going to fix them because we are the answer. And God is saying... I created your children. I know them better than you do. I can give you wisdom for them if you sit long enough to hear. But here's the thing about sitting and waiting. It's hard. I've had to learn to sit and wait with God. And it's been challenging because I'm not good at sitting still. There have been times where when I sit still with God, I, I squirm. Okay, God, this is weird. How long do I sit here? And all I'm doing is saying, God, I'm creating room for you to speak to me. Because I don't know how to do it. I don't want to waste emotional, mental, and physical energy doing things the way I know how to do them if you've got wisdom, instructions, knowledge. Knowledge that could bring hope into this situation. I don't wanna waste my energy doing what the disciples did. I wanna sit at the Sea of Galilee because I know now that in the morning, some beautiful sandals are gonna pull up next to me. The Lord is gonna pull up. He's gonna have instructions and word And I want to have the energy to do what he has me do. I don't want to be exhausted with doing things my way when they're not even working. The invitation to follow Jesus requires that we create moments in our life where we're willing to sit down long enough to hear from him. I think it's really cool that Peter does that whole show where he puts his cloak back on and Gets off the boat because I think we all know what it feels like to be like, Why am I even doing it this way? Like, there is God. What, like, He couldn't get off that boat fast enough. Have you ever felt like, What the heck am I doing? Why am I even here? Why am I even trying to do this? God, you have an answer. Why am I wasting so much energy and emotions? on my own abilities when there is a spirit of the living god that dwells inside of me who's got a word to speak to me who's got wisdom who's got knowledge who's got instruction why am i wasting my energy like why am i dating this person why do i keep on trying to make it work with this girl why do i try to keep on trying why am i why am i wasting my time how How much faster can I get out of this situation and run towards Jesus? Because Jesus doesn't disqualify them for using their energy in the worst way possible. He invites them again. Go home and read John chapter 1. He has a conversation with Peter where he says, Peter, there are people who will need you to be their shepherd. Take them to the green pastures and feed them. Care for them, love them. There's work to be done, Peter. It's not gonna look the same. You will be empowered by my spirit. I will no longer be here with you. Some of us need to be open enough to say, God, it doesn't have to look like what I've known, but I want it to look like you. How many of us can say amen to that? God, it doesn't have to look familiar to me. It doesn't have to look like my relationship with you but I want it to look like you, God. I want the circumstances to shift to where I can trust that your hand is leading and making a way to lay your frustrations and say, God, I'm done fighting. I'm done arguing with you. Have your way. So this morning, I wanna invite you to consider sitting and waiting with me at the Sea of Galilee and saying I will no longer spend my energy doing what I know how to do really well. I will sit and wait on God's voice, on his leading. You know, there are times that I'll sit in the morning with God and I'm simply quiet with him. And I'm like, okay, God, you know what I'm facing. You know what's happening in my church, with my family and my community. You know the challenges, you know them. What do you want us to do? Speak to me, God. And I'll sit there quietly, and like any minute, God, but I made room for him to speak. And there are times that by that evening, a week later, something pops into my head. And it's like God saying, you had asked me to give you the instruction. Well, here it is now. And there are some of you who will have these beautiful epiphanies with God where you're like, why didn't I see it? It's because you made room for God to speak, for him to show you, for him to guide you. We're still following Jesus. We're still letting him lead the way. God, we thank you this morning for the initial invitation to be your disciples, for the invitation to know you, to receive your forgiveness. We thank you that we were not worthy of it, but still you loved us. We thank you that there were moments in our lives where your presence was there and we were not aware of it, but the invitation was to follow you. The greatest gift we have, it is the gift of your Holy Spirit because it transforms us, it heals us, it leads us. Your Holy Spirit shows us the way. Your Holy Spirit guides us to your truth. Let us be a people who are willing to sit and wait, surrender to you, trust your guidance, not give our energy to things that we cannot control, but give our energy to sitting and waiting and trusting in your voice, in your leading, in your wisdom. Your word says that he who needs instruction and he who needs wisdom to ask for it. So this morning, how many of you join me in saying, God, I need wisdom for some of the things that I'm facing. Raise your hand where you are. If you need wisdom in an area of your life, say, Lord, we need your wisdom. Go ahead and say it. God, I need your wisdom. Lead me. Tell him, I don't want to do it my way anymore. It's not working. Show us. Open our eyes. Open our spiritual ears. Allow us to be a people who are sensitive to your guidance, to your voice. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless you, family.